Welcome to another exciting episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Listen in as your hosts, Jimmy Atkinson and Andy Hagens, discuss tax-advantaged investment strategies to help you grow your wealth. From commodities to real estate, private equity, agribusiness, and more, we cover it all here on the Alternative Investment Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I'm Andy Hagens. And I'm Jimmy Atkinson. Joining us today from Palmas del Mar, Puerto Rico is Kira Golden, CEO of Direct Source Wealth. Kira, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for coming on, Kira. A pleasure spending some time with you again. And Kira, one of the things that stands out about you is your long-term real estate investment strategy. Can you tell us more about your philosophy and why it resonates with your investors? Sure. Um, I think it's born, it's sort of out of the nature of how I became a real estate syndicator. I didn't even know the term when I syndicated my first deal. I was just buying real estate with friends and family. And it was, uh, it was my seller that actually said, oh, she's a syndicator. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then I had to Google it. And I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess technically I am. Um, but I really relate to building my real estate portfolio more as finding partners with shared sense of values and, and ideals and building a portfolio that you know my grandkids and their grandkids can, can manage for cash flow. So we take a very long-term perspective um, part of that is informed by, by my belief that um, the transaction costs of you know buying and selling can, can really chip away. And unless, unless you have what I call like a Taj Mahal offer, just like such a good offer you should sell or a property that has fundamentally changed in the demographics and is no longer a good long-term buy, um, unless that's really changed from what your original strategy was, you know, you're, you're better off buying and maintaining and keeping assets. It leads to better stewardship. You know, we make better long-term CapEx decisions when we know we're going to hold an asset. Um, and uh, ultimately, I feel like once you get to know an asset, um, I relate to them all like my children. What, you know, one's the redheaded stepchild and the other's my straight-A student, but they're, they're like, I love them all. And once I know them and I know how to interact with them, I know how to get the best out of them and how to optimize them. So um, I feel like just getting those chips on the table and, and buying long-term, there's not a lot of opportunities for passive investors to do that. Generally, you have to do that with your own money uh, and do it long-term. So, so we've, I think we've met a place in the market where people are like, yeah, I, I still just want to be an LP, but yeah, I mean, if your grandkids and my grandkids want to own real estate together, that sounds great. So you know, we're just taking that perspective as if, as if we were operating more like a collective family office. I think that's just a great philosophy. And uh, frankly, I wish we had a little bit more of that in the corporate world, uh, a little bit more long-term vision and, and long-term thinking. So Jimmy and I, we interact with a lot of opportunity fund sponsors, uh, typically ground up development. And I understand, you know, your your firm specializes more in value add, uh, you know, on, on the buying side. So could you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what you look for in a value add acquisition and some keys to success there? Yeah. So um, I like low hurdles for high profit. So typically <laughs> what we're looking for are places where a property has been, hasn't been optimized in three places. Number one, your standard you know, you could improve the rents by 
improving the cabinets or the flooring or the, the putting in new blinds, you know, doing some CapEx. Um, but candidly, I think that's the hardest part, right? Because you have to spend real money, but get a fair bit of it to create more cash flow. Um, and we do that. It's not that hard, but it's the hardest of the three. The second that I look for is under optimization from an owner in terms of market presence. So I really love it when I walk a property and I'm like, wow, this is, this is a great property. Why does it have a two-star co-star rating? Or why is the last online review from like 10 years ago? Um, those are low cost, high impact uh, things that can be improved and, and surprisingly not done that often. I was surprised how hard it was to find someone who could call CoStar and, and understand their rating system and explain, you know, why it's a two versus a four. And like, if they have a formula. And so when you make those property improvements, if you can call CoStar, you can have them come back out and take your property from like a two to a three or a four. And then that generates more traffic and raises rents. And, and it's a, like, literally, it's like a phone call. So that's what I think of as like a low cost, high value add. And then the third piece of it is, my, I think of this like, um, uh, like the old school mining towns. My real estate is an anchor, it's a, it's a hub, but I want properties where I can also add value by adding ancillary services to the property. So we might be able to be the internet service provider, do valet laundry, um, uh, valet trash, uh, provide work from home opportunities. So I actually like properties in areas that maybe your traditional syndicator or investor thinks, well, you know, maybe the economics aren't good. Maybe there's mass, uh, ex, um, what's the opposite of migration in? Uh, <laughs> migration out or, um, you know, or people, unemployment's too high. Um, I love those opportunities because we can come in and we can provide employment opportunities to our tenants, which make our rental income stronger, our collections better, and, and actually make a difference in the communities we're investing in. So I typically have a slightly different thesis than the rest of the market. And I think that also translates to us being able to buy in at, at more competitive cap rates. Interesting. So having a different thesis is obviously important, especially in the value add space where, you know, these days in 2022, now we're speaking in Q2 of 2022, there's a lot of competition out there. And we've seen cap rates compress over the past 18 months to uh, almost a, a crazy, uh, crazy numbers, crazy town, as I would see it. Has that been a challenge uh, for your company as, as the cap rates have compressed so much? Are you still able to find uh, attractive acquisitions? Um, I wouldn't say it's a, much of a challenge, but I also would say we haven't done as much buying. Um, so kind of circling back to our opening line, we're a long-term buy and hold firm and we make long-term investment decisions. So on the one hand, what that means is if an asset is strategic for us, I'm not as concerned that the cap rate might be compressed because I know I can come in and I can layer on additional value, um, which means I have more flexibility and more margin in competitive markets. Um, the second thing is we're very relationship driven. So I would say 95% of what we've purchased comes from a seller we've bought from before and have a working relationship with. And uh, they're typically aligned in our values and um, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. And so we oftentimes are getting first calls or, or buying off market. And um, so that, that aspect's not, not as relevant. Um, but also 
when we don't see an opportunity, we don't do a deal. So one of the other things that was really important to me is that a lot of people who get into this business, as they start to scale, they have staff and payroll and they have to do deals mm -hmm. to make money. And I always wanted my real estate to make the money. I wanted to be a genuine co-investor with my partners, not seen as somebody who had to you know, push the numbers and make them work just to do a transaction. Um, so if we have to wait five years to do a deal, we'll wait five years to do a deal. Um, that hasn't happened, but you know, I, there's not really a compulsion to buy. And so it doesn't feel hard, um, but I would say we're certainly doing more in Puerto Rico. We're doing more outside of the US um, because that's where we see more opportunity. Absolutely. And the willingness to walk away, uh, so important in deal-making and striking attractive deals. Uh, I wanted to ask briefly, so a lot of our viewers and listeners at AltsDB are high net worth investors or their RRAs or wealth managers. And of course, they need to put tax mitigation front and center uh, with all of their investments, especially alts. I mean, honestly, that's part of the reason that they're they're looking at alternatives. Uh, so what tax mitigation strategies do you typically employ with your investment offerings? Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. So, I mean, multifamily and especially value add are great candidates for cost seg. Um, so, you know, when appropriate, we, we pursue that. Um, you know, that passes through some higher early depreciation. And again, as a buy and hold investor, we don't have to be as worried about depreciation recapture. So that allows us to be a little more aggressive. Um, obviously, real estate itself is just structured in a way where partnership returns and K-1s and pass through depreciation are sort of natural benefits of real estate as long as, as long as that's the way it is. But so far, we've been able to protect that. Um, and we're, we're also doing opportunity zone deals. Um, and then we also try to structure our deals with multiple share classes. So if people want to use, for example, qualified money um, and do a higher preferred return uh, and then non-qualified money in a different share class with maybe a lower pref, but that gets depreciation and stuff, we'll actually structure the deals in a nuanced way that allows people who don't necessarily need the tax benefit in a particular bucket uh, to choose which bucket fits their strategy. Um, and I'm super excited to hear your, your market demographic being advisors. I attended my first ADISA conference a couple of years ago and I was like, oh my God, I, I found my people. Like I found my tribe. Like I'm not just like alone on an island. I'm on an island, but I'm not alone. Like there's others that believe that alternative assets can build diversified portfolios and can be properly structured. It's not just a, you know, little kind of funny, quirky thing you do to talk at a dinner party, you can build a fully diversified portfolio with alts. And, um, and I, it's so exciting to see more and more advisors move in that space, more RIAs and broker dealers take on some of the regulatory questions about, you know, how do you balance a portfolio if you're in a 30 year illiquid, you know, alt investment and you're taking an RIA fee, you know, like these are nerdy, fascinating questions to me. And I, I um, we've expanded from just being a sponsor to also I've opened an RIA and, and own an interest in a broker dealer. Um, and we've actually started doing more and more of our uh, relationships and investor management through partnering with uh, advisors, because I think they play such an important role, um, especially in, I would say like legitimizing might not be the right word, but um, you know, making sure that people don't make catastrophic mistakes with alts. Um, they're a great, investment vehicle, but 
when you're new, you, you can make catastrophic mistakes and, and advisors are, are so critical in making sure that doesn't happen. So I'm excited to see that, that demographic growing. Yeah, I think that's a great thought there, Kira. Uh, we just started becoming involved with Adisa ourselves just about a year ago. We've been partnering, partnering with Adisa now on their last three conferences, and we're looking forward to their big annual conference coming up in the fall here in Las Vegas. And maybe we'll try to get you out there for that one, Kira. But I think you're absolutely right. I think advisors have been a crucial part in um, maybe not legitimizing. I don't know what the word is either. Maybe normalizing or... or yeah, <laughs> normalizing alternative investment strategies and making sure that investors uh, are on the right side of things. Um, so I think that's really important as alternative asset classes become more and more important and grow in popularity over time. Uh, a few things that you mentioned earlier about, you know, having to come in with a different investment thesis than a lot of other value add investors and being really cognizant of tax mitigation strategies kind of strikes me as almost a form of contrarian investing. Do you have any other examples of any other successful contrarian investing strategies that you've been involved with? Am I characterizing that properly? Would, would you say that you're a contrarian investor in some ways? I mean, I feel like I have to say, no, I'm not a contrarian because it's so in my nature to argue that, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I am a contrarian. Um, uh, you nailed that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, one of my early investment successes was, was straight out of college um, investing in Europe when the, the euro was new and hotly debated whether it would be successful or not. And I um, you know, orchestrated some deals, bought property there in three different countries, um, all sort of in various stages of joining the European Union and participating in the euro and bought futures in the euro to hedge my deals. And, and that was... Uh, really successful. You know, I, I had a very like long position on the Euro and, and thought if I could layer that again, going back to this idea of layering my assets, real estate's just the anchor, it's the core. But in that case, currency hedging uh, was where the real profit was made on the real estate, right? Like our, our returns more than doubled with the, um, you know, our real estate returns were, were 2x by the, by the currency benefit, right? So um, that's an example, or I moved to Puerto Rico in 2014, um, you know, when everyone's saying the U.S. is just skyrocketing and I'm saying, no, you know, I think that there's more opportunity elsewhere. And, um, I've done, you know, a fair number of deals down here. And I, I think in some ways that's contrarian, it's becoming mainstream now. Uh, but, but I was here a long time before that happened. So it's definitely part of my philosophy. Yeah. I'd say you were ahead of the curve there on Puerto Rico for sure. Okay. Kira, uh, well, I'm co-hosting a webinar with Scott Hawksworth at our sister site, multifamilyinvestor.com next Wednesday, May 11th. And we're going to be showcasing your multifamily value add property in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, for our viewers and listeners out there, you can learn more about the upcoming webinar with Kira and you can reserve your seat at it by visiting multifamilyinvestor.com slash Kira, that's K-I-R-A. Kira, what can you tell us more about this value add property in Dayton, Ohio, the project that you're raising capital for. Maybe you can give us a sneak preview of the of what we're going to be discussing on the webinar. Sure. Um, so, as I kind of thematically, as we've talked about, um, you know, the, the property itself is a very straightforward multifamily, 315 units. Um, it's actually three phases. So, phase one uh, was 116. Phase two is 103, and this next phase is 96. Um, each one is its own separate property, all part of the gated master planned community. 
Um, and to our, our discussion earlier about um, being buy and hold and also creating various share classes to give investors and advisors flexibility to decide you know, what's the most appropriate way to hold the real estate. I think the most important and interesting thing we'll be talking about is how we've used various share classes to allow investors to optimize their personal strategy. So whether that's you know, long-term buy and hold or more of a shorter horizon, higher preferred return, or um, maybe something in between and a hybrid. Um, and so we've got multiple different classes of investment on the same asset. So I think that's, to me, that's the sophistication that, that makes it more interesting. I mean, obviously we'll go through the property, but to me, all these properties are sort of, they're kind of the same, like trying to say that one's more whatever than the other. I don't think they are. I've been doing this too long. Um, but uh, so, you know, talking about short classes will be exciting and fun. Um, and then also just going through and looking at how we make a social impact with our investment as well, because I, I want to kind of emphasize some of the programs and things that we're doing there. Uh, on that property, which I'm really excited about. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to co-hosting that webinar at yeah. multifamilyinvestor.com next week. Uh, Kira, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, always great getting your insight. Before we go, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and Direct Source Wealth? Yes. So we have a Direct Source Wealth uh, Facebook page. They can come join our community there and, and connect. And uh, we actually have two. So we have one that public facing. And then when someone becomes an uh, an investor, they get access to our, our private uh, site. And that's where investors share network ideas and everything. But the Direct Source Wealth uh, site is public. And then directsourcewealth.com uh, is also our, our website. They can, they can connect with us there. Fantastic. So to recap, you can visit directsourcewealth.com to learn more about Kira's business. And again, to register for our upcoming webinar featuring here is value add property in Dayton, Ohio. Please visit multifamilyinvestor.com slash Kira. And of course, for our listeners and viewers out there, if you want links to all of the resources we discussed on today's episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast, you can access the show notes at altsdb.com slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on YouTube and on your favorite podcasting platform so you'll be sure to receive new episodes as we release them. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The Alternative Investment Podcast is produced by the Alternative Investment Database, online at altsdb.com. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and access the show notes by visiting altsdb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. 